Welcome to Good People Talk, the podcast of the Good People Fund. This is where good people funded by GPF talk about their visions and impact as they seek to uplift lives and communities and inspire others to do the same. Reva Judas is doing just that. Having lost her infant son hours after he was born, Reva turned grief into action and founded Nehama Comfort. The organization, a new GPF grantee, works within and beyond the Jewish community to ensure that no one ever feels alone in the immediate or long-term aftermath of pregnancy and infant loss. For more info, visit goodpeoplefund.org or nehamacomfort.org, both listed in the program notes. For now, here's Riva and GPF Executive Director Naomi Eisenberger in conversation. Welcome, Riva, and thank you for giving us this time this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it is our pleasure because uh, what you're doing involves a subject that for far too long has been ignored inside and outside the Jewish community. With that, I'm going to ask you if you would just tell all of us a little bit about your own personal experiences that brought you to the place where starting Nakama Comfort was an imperative. Uh, so Nakama Comfort started unofficially 34 years ago when our firstborn son lived for 12 hours. He was born on Passover. He had a severe congenital heart defect that could not be detected. For many of, of your listeners, it's probably you probably can't even fathom what that means. We have so many tests now and, and medical advancements, but there was a time not so long ago when doctors really couldn't pinpoint things I did have sonograms, but they told me everything's okay because they didn't have a sophisticated equipment. And the pregnancy was really uneventful. My husband and I had been married a couple of years and we were really excited, looking forward to starting our family. He was born a month early. He was born by five healthy. We were all very excited. Two hours after he was born, we were told that they called in the pediatrician in the hospital, and he was being transferred to Hershey Medical Center. And these are the words I will never forget. He will be okay. He will be very, he's very sick, but he'll be okay. And when parents hear that in my head, everything was going to be okay. They told us to rest. And in the morning, we would go to the medical center a half hour away to see the baby. At about seven o'clock in the morning, and I won't forget those words either. Your son is very sick. He will die very soon. Um, by the time my parents had come, my husband to the hospital, trying to just get our bearings together, at 10 o'clock, the phone rang that he had, he had passed away. I cannot forget the details of it. I remember more details today than I did for many, many years. I'm sure that trauma never leaves you. And then what to do? what to do with the baby, burying the baby. My father was a rabbi then for about 30 years. He could not remember what to do. And he called his rabbi and found out that uh, it, was, it was Friday. It was during Passover. Shabbat was coming. And uh, we were blessed because we were able to bury the baby. Uh, and I'm mentioning these details because this is really what started my thought of starting the Chama Comfort. 
There is no Jewish law that governs a baby that is under 30 days. That meant that we were not obligated to sit shiva or to do any of the customary things that are done when a child over 30 days or an adult, anybody passes away. We did, however, have visitors, a shiva, an unofficial shiva for about three weeks. People didn't know what to do. We were told by our doctors and professionals, uh, you don't have to go for therapy, just go home, get pregnant, you know why you're depressed and move on, don't talk about it. So my husband was starting a new job. He started work two weeks after the, our son died. I was a, a kindergarten teacher at the time. I took off another, maybe a month total, went back to finish off the year teaching. By August, I was pregnant with my daughter, but we were both fully depressed and really having no support. We were told don't go for therapy. There were no support groups. Mm. People would tell me now they would cross the street when they would see me, my good, good friends, because nobody had, knew how to react. Everybody was pregnant, or so I thought, around me. Everybody was pregnant when I turned on television. Everybody was pregnant at the mall. And even though I was pregnant soon after, it wasn't my son, and we weren't given a time to really grieve him. We were able to put up a stone, a headstone, which many people in that time were not encouraged to do. We're talking about society at large. We're not even talking right. about the Jewish community now. Nobody talked about anything in those days. This was the mid 80s and we were still dealing with a society from the 60s, 70s. We don't talk about things. There was no interest in that. And we just went with the philosophy. If you don't talk about things and they didn't exist. There were no awareness months. There was no uh, breast cancer awareness. There was no, if you remember, the, the same time AIDS was coming. So this was, was society. And I think the Jewish communities just took their role and their knowledge from what was going on in society. We don't talk about things also. Sometimes we're very superstitious. We don't announce our pregnancies because something may happen. You know, we don't go to funerals when we're pregnant because something may happen. Um, but even in the world, people, you know, when you read about um, sitcoms, if you see, you know, sometimes I'll read about I Love Lucy and things like that. They weren't allowed to say the word pregnant. We went on to have four living children, thank God, my son who passed away, and also six miscarriages. So there's six children that live only live in our hopes and our dreams. And that happened um, in a span of 10 years. Wow. So, that, yeah. I didn't know that piece of it. And that is... And that's beyond heavy. I can understand now much more clearly how your experiences really make you the perfect counselor to help other women because you've really run the gamut of not only losing a child at birth, but miscarriages. That was 34 years ago. I suspect that what has come since then has really been an evolution, not a revolution. Right. I like how you said that. Could you take us a little bit on that journey? People would right away reached out to me, but secretly. So they would call me and say, I lost a baby with any stage. And really, what we, we work with families, early miscarriage through the age of one. 
and we talk about to ourselves on the phone and we agreed that if we saw each other, you know, at the grocery store, we would, we wouldn't even acknowledge. And then people would call me, um, I heard you went through this, my sister in Boston, what, what advice can you give to her? So it sort of was just becoming something, a chesed, a kindness that I was helping people. But quickly realized that we, there was such a community out there that wasn't talking about it, that there was really nothing we could do except just talk amongst ourselves and figure out what was going on. And we sort of became this, this group that spoke to each other. It was really women at first. Men did not talk about it, just like society. Men did not share anything. And when we looked back and we started developing the whole program, what we wanted to do to help, my husband and I talked a lot and he did not get the support that, that I got. And even if it was minimal from his family, from friends, because they didn't know what to do. Nobody knew how to help. We don't blame anybody. You can't do what you don't know. In the early 90s, or about seven years after my loss, I got a call from the, a, a friend of mine who was also the local Lamaze teacher who, who knew what I was going through. She said to me one day, I just came home from a training in Wisconsin, Resolve Through Share, which still exists, RTS. It's celebrating now its 40th anniversary. And they're doing training for for nurses and social workers about the pregnancy and philosophy. She invited me to come to the group and I came and I just couldn't believe she showed me the training manual, which was two big loose leaves. And she invited me to help her, but really knew that even though I said, I'm fine, I needed the support too and started to meet other people just like me, not just within the Jewish community, but every group, I just came home so energized, if that even made sense, like I wasn't yeah. alone. I would look forward to this once a month group. And we and we had talked, Johanna Gerlach is a nice Irish Catholic woman and saw that the Jewish community was growing locally. She would start asking me questions about our culture, our religion, um, where we really didn't have answers. I would speak to um, my local rabbi, my father, who was a rabbi, different people, and said, how do we handle this? But on the other hand, the grief process and the grief journey is the same as any other loss. And it's extremely individual. You know, I was blessed to have uh, my four grandparents still alive and, and, and my parents. I really hadn't had to deal with, with death and loss. I needed to really study what was going on and then bring it back in, into the group. And, and Johanna was was looking at other cultures as well. There's a, there's a large Korean community that was coming to this hospital. So she was really trying to say, how does each culture handle? Because when you get this training, what you learn and you sort of take from each other. And um, another year had gone by and she said, okay, it's time for you to start a Jewish group. And I went back and I took the training course, the Resolve Through Share program. I met people from, from all over the country, all different religions, race, culture. And I just could not believe it. And I would explain to them what our culture, what Jewish culture does. And I would meet some people that never knew what, what a Jewish person was, where they lived. And I would learn things about people, you know, people, let's say, in, in, out in the West, in Montana. I'll never forget, I met a, a nurse. And she told me, oh, we give the family the baby to take home if they want and bury them in their backyard. Uh -huh. Which, 
in uh, in any large city, you're not allowed to do that. So no, but that's <laughs> common in certain areas. It's not unusual. So it's just amazing what I was able to teach them and what I was able to embrace to really incorporate all these things. And we started a, a group at the Holy Name Hospital that met once a month for Jewish families. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's how it just sort of evolved and began. And then I would do much more research. Two years later, while I was still teaching, I went back for my chaplaincy certification at, at one of the local hospitals, Hackensack Medical Center. So really got trained in, in that modality of helping and how to work with families in general. Then it came time to decide on the name. Nechama means comfort. Comfort, yes. It means comfort. And that's all we wanted to do was to help people feel comforted on an individual basis and never, ever to feel alone. And people who don't know what it means always ask me. So I love it because I'm able to say what our goal is just in our name. It, it does. It, it speaks to exactly what you're doing, and that is providing comfort. What changes do you, have you seen in society as to how this topic is treated? Generally, what services are available? Over ten, the last 10 years, that's really where we've seen a change, not, not till then. I think a couple of factors have changed why people are speaking about it more. There's been so much advancement in the fertility medical side that uh, in terms of how people get pregnant, people that could have never thought of, con of conceiving a baby or having a baby in terms of surrogacy and infertility and IVF and so many, many advancements every day that are allowing families to have children. Because of that, statistics mm -hmm. are, you know, one in four couples, one in four women experience miscarriage. That's the statistic. Because people know that they're pregnant so much earlier, you know, a day before you could see that's what the commercial says. Because you're going through your fertility journey, so you can pinpoint everything. The attachment starts early, as soon as you get that positive sign. So the attachment to the loss, knowing if you miscarry early, knowing every step of the way, the fact that, and, and I don't like these words because it already sends up a, a bit negative uh, connotation, but this is what the medical words are. Many more terminations are being right. done because the medical community can really pinpoint the well-being of a child. So right. that's another aspect. That, so I think people know more people experiencing the loss more, and people are given the permission to discuss it. Because right. we live now in a world where everything is discussed there's an awareness month for everything. We know everything the second that it happens. People in social media, in television, in, in sports, even, you know, the prince and princess in London, you know, they talked about their miscarriages and their losses. And I think that helps people to feel comfortable. Well, this is happening to them and they're discussing it. We can too. So right. it's definitely been a change. But we still speak to so many families that still feel ashamed, still that they can't discuss it, that they don't want to discuss it because people still don't know how to react. You know, these are the services that we offer for the Jewish community, but we really, we offer our services to 
Any, anyone is welcome. We're global now, especially because of Zoom. So we work with a lot of different families offering a lot of different services. I could say in the last year that we've been working close to a thousand families. We've touched in some way. That includes the individual couple, extended family, grandparents and siblings, working with their communities, working with friends and families and clergy, doing trainings, the medical staff, one client can include a lot of different people. Do you find that when women hear about your work, it awakens, particularly with older women, that this awakens within them their own experiences from perhaps many years ago when, when nobody spoke about it? It's so common because women couldn't talk about it. I know my grandmother had had lost a baby who lived for 28 hours in 1942. And until she passed away, and this was before my losses, she would have never stopped talking about looking for where her baby was buried. And there are no records. She lived in Hartford, Connecticut, and there's no records. In October is Pregnancy Infant Loss Awareness Month. And last year, October 2020, we had done a virtual program on a memorial and awareness. And a woman named Malka in Israel was just sort of advertised, uh, went on and started watching the program. And she always knew and remembered a lot that in 1978, she had twins that were born and lived for three and four weeks in Israel, in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. So if we weren't talking about it, they for sure were not talking no. about it in 1978. And she couldn't believe it. She had never heard about Nahama Comfort. She had never heard she had gotten divorced, which, which many couples, it will, if, it, if you don't deal with the grief, it will cause that. Had gotten remarried, had more children, and reached out. We have a hotline that we run in our reach out. I spoke to her, and we must have been on the phone for two hours. She could not believe this was happening. So many people, she didn't tell about it. And she was turning 70 the next month. Wow. And I didn't know what to do for my birthday, so I am going to write my story, share it with my friends, and show pictures of my twins who she had named, Chaya and Chaim, which means light, and introduce them. And she raised money for Nechama Comfort. I was particularly struck with that. We really comprise everybody and everyone across the country. Now that we're doing our, our group on Zoom, it, it's such an interesting fact because we have people coming on that are not religious at all. And we have couples coming on from the uh, gay and lesbian community, people coming on from the Hasidisha community. And, and the group, the support is open for men and women. That's, that's who's coming on. We have Israeli families. We have really everyone. And what's amazing is, and I think that Zoom helps this, is that after the first, you know, after we all introduce ourselves, there is no religious barrier. We're all there sharing the grief and the loss of our children. It's just amazing. It's pure. It's really yes, pure. Very, that is very, very pure. And there um, are differences. There are differences. I'm sure there are differences. We've skirted around the issue of men. Can you share a bit about how men typically face this? So again, we've seen a change because society has changed with men and women. So it's really not women are one way, men are the other way. It's really individual, their personalities, 
what kind of homes they grew up in, that that's how they're going to behave. I mean, first and foremost, they don't have the baby. So physically, they're, they don't have the reminders in their body. If you have a you know, delivery, if you have the delivery of the baby, you have to heal. It's the same type of a thing. But they suffer just as much as women. They need to, to express their grief. They need to, sometimes, you know, they're thrown into, especially if there's other children or taking them, they're thrown into the caretaker role because they don't have to rest. When we tell families and friends and rabbis and people, don't forget the man, you know, make sure that you're yep. reaching out to the men as much as, as you're reaching out to the women, you know, all the guidelines of to the couple, it, it's as a couple. And what's been interesting on Zoom is that because there's no other childcare issues, people are home, they, yeah. we were getting more men on the group. First, sometimes they start off, I just see their elbow or I see they're like in the back in another room, but, but other yeah. times, you know, they inch their way. Very quickly, I know that there are very specific services that Nahama Comfort offer, offers to clients who come to you. So could you give just a, a recap of those specifics? So we, we, we really help the entire, the, both partners in the couple, either individually or together. Mm -hmm. We have our, our case managers, mm -hmm. which are trained, they're trained through the Resolve to Share program as well, and other training we, where they're given. We have some, we have a hotline now that 1-833-NAHAMA, somebody um, answers the call, and we see what, what they're looking for. If uh, the baby has been born already and buried, and if those, those logistics are taken care of, we offer guidance and support, both individual counseling and support groups twice a month on Zoom. We, we look for what their needs are, uh, but really it's individual. It's, and then it's giving the family the choice. You don't have to go to the burial. You could go to the burial. You um, should, someone should go have the information. So it's that initial, it's giving the support and guidance. We, we tell the couples, you join the club, you never wanted to join, but you're a lifetime member. So we work with the families and through the next pregnancy, which is also a whole other topic. Uh, as well, we do trainings to medical staff, clergy, funeral directors, communities at large, anybody that, that so they're, they're prepared beforehand. Well, I want to thank you for sharing some of your time today. I know tomorrow you have a bris in the family. Yes. So I, I doubly appreciate your taking the time to speak with me and for us to put together this discussion. I think really what you are doing is what I call holy work. We're very excited and happy to help move you along to that next, that next level. Thank you for the wonderful work that you do. 